right. Well, glad to have everyone with us here who's in the sanctuary and uh, those online. And we're glad to have you kids with us. And uh, hopefully those words from uh, Donna are helpful to you as uh, we uh, encourage and uh, pray for your spiritual walk with the Lord as well. We're continuing our Love Your Neighbor series this morning. And as we do... Let me start with asking this question. Why is it that stories like these capture our attention? It was in 2014 at a North Dakota cross-country meet that uh, at Fargo High School, Fargo South High School runner Daniel Lanou, while she was running in this cross-country meet, heard a pop and felt a pop in her knee. And once she felt that pop in her knee, she went down. On this place, there were many runners that came by, but one in particular, Melanie Bailey, who did not run for Fargo South High School, but ran for Devil's Lake High School, a competing team in the meet, who saw Danielle there, uh, weeping and in pain. And as you see from this picture, what Melanie did was pick Danielle up, put her on her back, and carry her across the finish line, giving up any chance for herself to medal or be recognized, but yet helping someone else finish a race that they started. Stories like this that grab our attention or maybe this one, it was Christmas Day in 1996 when English sailor Pete Goss showed an incredible act of sportsmanship. A month and a half into, let me say that again, a month and a half into his race around the world, not to mention the fact that he had been preparing for years ahead of time for this race, he got a distress call that one of the competing yachts, Raphael Donelli's yacht, had been wrecked in a storm in the Southern Ocean and was in need of help. Pete Goss turned his boat around into hurricane winds to try and rescue Donelli. Despite his own yacht being knocked down and knocked over en route, he was able to locate Donelli with the help of the Australian Air Force and able to rescue him, bring him to safety, and they have been friends ever since. But of course, giving up any chance he had of winning the round-the-world race that he had been training for. Stories like this capture our attention, or maybe it's Char Chuck Feeney, Charles Feeney. Perhaps you heard his name this past week because he accomplished something uh, pretty amazing uh, after uh, s substantial years of attempting to do it or working towards it, after 38 years, in fact, of wanting to give away his entire fortune. If you don't know Charles Feeney, I bet you do know duty-free shops in the airport. They're there because of Charles and a business partner who came up with the idea many years ago. And it made him a very rich man, $8 billion rich, that he committed to giving away before he died. In 1982, he made that commitment. And this week, he signed the last check to finally give away his entire fortune 
that he had amassed. He owns one pair of shoes, lives in an apartment, and doesn't own a car, and flies economy class. Stories like this capture our attention at times. Let me give you one more. With two runners on base and a strike against her, Sarah Tolchelsky of Western Oregon University uncorked her best swing and did something she had never done in high school or college. She hit her first home run over the center field fence. But she rounded first base, but missed first base. Realizing she missed first base, she went to turn back to tag it, and when she did, she twisted her knee and collapsed between first and second base. She crawled her way back to first base, but that's as far as she could get. When she looked up at the umpire, the umpire said, uh, you know, thinking that her teammates could help her, the umpire said, if you're, the rules are clear, I'm sorry, if your teammates help you, it will not count. You have to finish it yourself. And she said, the umpire said, the other alternative is you could have a pinch runner come in, but they would have to only be on first and it would count as a single. So what happened was the players of the opposing team said there's no rule against your opponent carrying you around the bases. And so the opposing team uh, picked her up and carried her so she could touch second, third, and home. The opposing team of Central Washington University. And she completed her home run, and it actually contributed to Central Washington being eliminated from the tournament. But that wasn't the point of that, right? It helped this girl finish it. Why is it that stories like this capture our attention? I think it's because they're about great people who operate contrary to how we usually define greatness. I think stories like this capture our attention because they're people doing great things contrary to how we usually define what a great person or a great thing is. We've said if we're going to love our neighbor, in this series we've said if we're going to love our neighbor, the first week we said we're going to have to live questionable lives. By questionable lives, we mean you're going to have to live a life that is consistent with the gospel, contrary to the culture, and close enough to people who don't know God that they can ask you questions about it. Live a questionable life. The second week, we said, if you're going to love your neighbor, you need to be able to see your neighbor the way Jesus sees them. If you're going to love your neighbor the way Jesus loves them, you're going to have to see your neighbor the way Jesus sees them, and especially their spiritual need for him. In this third week, we're saying, if you are going to love your neighbor, you are going to have to redefine what success and greatness really looks like. You're going to have to redefine it. And as we look at that this morning, would you open your Bible, if you have it, to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to pick it up in verse 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. If you're here in person, you could use one of your chair rack Bibles. It's about page 825 is where you're going to be turning to, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. And you're going to come to a passage of Scripture that we're going to read of people that were seeking greatness. In fact, we're going to read about a mom 
who wanted greatness for her two boys. What mom doesn't want greatness for her two boys? And we have a mom that comes to Jesus with a rather bold request. And in the midst of this, we're going to see what, how often we in the world views greatness and then how Jesus redefines greatness. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. We're going to read through verse 28 eventually, but we're going to start with through verse 24. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, that's Jesus, came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in the kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. In this passage, you've got this mom of these two boys who are disciples of Jesus. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. So we have the 10 that are indignant at the mom of the two who said, hey, Jesus, uh, just a small request for you. Here's what I'd like. When you come into your kingdom, because we all know where this is going, right? She's basically saying, you're going to be a king. You're gonna, we all know where this is going. You're going to have, you're going to sit on your throne and the two places of greatest prominence will be whoever is sitting on your right and whoever is sitting on your left. She said, just a small thing, let's let those be my boys. Let's let those be my sons. Because when you're great, they'll get to sit by you and then they'll be great too. And often we define, I think, greatness by what we getting what we deserve and by how many people serve us. I think if we were thinking about greatness in our world, if someone were to come from outside of our world and say, how does this world define greatness? It would be easy to look at how we live and say greatness is defined. Great people deserve more and they have more people serving them. I mean, that's often what happens in our world. Great people deserve more, they get more, and they have more people serving them. There's a lot of talk about deserving, I think, these days. If you even were to Google the word deserve, lots of sites would come up, but some things like 21 things you deserve. You get in life what you believe you deserve. Focus on you and what you deserve. You deserve to be happy. Do what makes you happy. There's a lot of focus on what we deserve. In fact, our, our lives and our days are often built around what we deserve. Am I getting what I deserve in my relationships? I deserve to be respected. I deserve to be forgiven. I deserve to be loved. Am I getting what I deserve? Am I getting what I deserve in my job? I deserve a promotion. I deserve more, more responsibility. I deserve more money. Am I getting what I deserve in school? I deserve more accolades. I deserve honors. I deserve AP. I deserve, uh, you know, a better GPA. Am I getting what I deserve? Lots of our lives are organized around that. 
And often our world defines greatness by getting what you deserve. But our world also defines greatness by how many people are serving you. Now you say, Pastor Rick, wait a second. It's not the 19th century. This isn't Newport, Rhode Island with the Rockefellers and, you know, those, those rich families that have servants, you know, at their beck and call. You know, this isn't the time where we have servant quarters in the top of our house and secret staircases where they come down and just deliver our food and it magically appears. I, I don't have, we don't have servants like that, oh, don't you? I just punch in here and I expect things to just arrive at my house and show up at my door. Oh, and please, contact list, don't touch me, don't let me see you. Just put it there and go away. We have all kinds of people that serve us and our measure of greatness is often more people serving you the greater you are. Look at it this way. When... Uh, your coach, when kids are on a sports team, say you got kids on a Pop Warner football team, and they're playing football and they're young kids, and usually it's maybe one coach for, I don't know, 20, 30 kids on a team. Maybe you got a couple coaches, a couple parents got roped into it, and they're teaching, coaching those kids. But the, if you continue in that sport, the greater you ha get, the more people you'll have serving you. Now, you go on to high school football, and you're going to have an offensive coach and a defensive coach, and you'll have a quarterback's coach, and you'll have a receiver's coach. You go on to college, you're going to get even more. You're going to get a strength and conditioning coach. You're going to get a dietitian coach. You're going to get someone who's watching over every aspect. You go on to the pros, you're going to get personal trainers. You're going to get the greater you become, the more people you have serving you. It's often the way that our world is wired. That's often the way our world goes. And if we're not careful, we can get sucked into that type of thinking, that that's what greatness is, getting more stuff you deserve and having more people serve you. But here's the thing. When I focus on what I deserve and having people serve my needs, I grow blind to where I'm called to serve. If I just focus on who's serving me and am I getting with my I deserve, I grow blind to where I'm supposed to serve. It's hard to see someone close to me and far from the Lord when I'm so busy looking at myself. As long as your life is all about achievement, you can't focus on another person's need. If we focus on positions over people, we will miss not only opportunities to serve, but opportunities to love our neighbor. But we have to be careful we don't get caught up in this definition of greatness. As a pastor, I would say some of the, um, I don't know if worst is the word for a funeral, but some of the hardest maybe, some of the less joyful funerals I get, have to do when all I can do is stand up there and talk about a person's accomplishments and titles and positions. You know, here's so-and-so, and during their life, they, they accomplished this, and they had this title, and they had this position. Those funerals, those eulogies are probably the most joyless ones. And yet, that's often how our world defines greatness. Many people will spend their lives trying to get the title, the position, 
and look great in the world's eyes. But Jesus defines it differently. Let's go back to our passage, Matthew chapter 20, and let's pick it up in verse 25. So here's this mom. She makes this bold request, and Jesus says, verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, and that's Jesus referring to himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, true greatness is not in getting what you deserve. It's not in being served. True greatness is in how you serve. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. He completely flips the script on us. The one who's great in the kingdom is not the one who has the most people serving him or her, but the one who is the greatest servant and slave to others. And so how are you doing on being great in the kingdom? How are you doing, how am I doing, how are we doing on serving others around us? Not on focusing on getting what we deserve, on how many people are serving us, how well are we being served, but are we serving others? Because Paul, later on, I'm not going to have you turn to this scripture, in Galatians says this, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul is saying, if you're going to love your neighbor, you're going to have to serve your neighbor. So how are you doing at serving your neighbor? Let me give you a challenge. Bless your neighbor. Bless your neighbor. How often are you blessing your neighbor? And here's the challenge specifically. I want you to maybe consider a commitment of blessing three people a week. You say, well, I bless more than three people a week. Good for you. You get extra points. That's great. A lot of us don't do three. Bless three people a week. One who's a part of the church, one who's not, and then another one who may be one or the other. Bless someone who's a part of the church, that one another series we finished. Bless someone who's not, someone who's close to you but far from God. And bless another person as well. Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. We all need to be blessed in many ways, right? Bless those around us. I encourage you and challenge you to think about blessing three people this week. How do you bless people? Three different ways you can bless people, I think. There are many, but three, let me give you three. And uh, one is words of affirmation. You can bless someone with an encouraging word, email, text, Write a letter, even. And write a card to someone. I was just listening. So this week, I heard someone say how much it meant for them to receive a handwritten card in the mail of someone with an encouraging word to them. You do words of affirmation. Those are encouraging to us. Acts of kindness. 
lightening someone's load. Blessing literally means to add strength to one's arms. You can acts of kindness. How do you add strength to someone's arms? Do something. Come alongside someone. Someone who is in need. Lift their arms and strengthen them. Show up when they don't expect you to show up and help them what they don't expect you to help them with. What a blessing that would be. Here's a third way, gifts. Your time, talent, and treasure to serve others. Uh, giving of blessing people and helping to lighten their load through giving of your time, talent, or your treasure. Lots of ways you can do this personally. I've heard of a couple ways churches have done this that I thought were interesting. One church found out that debt collection companies, how, how often they'll work is they'll buy medical debt for pennies on the dollar, and then they'll go and collect as much as they can from those people that owe all this money. And one church, or a couple churches, I guess, found out. They said, well, why can't churches do this? So these churches got together, and they bought all this bad medical debt, millions of dollars. I don't know if it was millions. might have been thousands of dollars. I don't want to get the number wrong. Of all this bad medical debt. And instead of being the collection company and go collect it, they just canceled it. And they just blessed these people by canceling their medical debt and sending them, letting them know your debt's been taken care of. Another church did it for school lunch, a school, their local school lunch program. They called up their school system and they said, let us know what is the number of bad debt lunch expenses that kids have. This is a thing that kids run into. They run up actually a debt on their school lunches and they said, we're going to pay it off. So all those bad lunch expenses because they don't have to worry about where they're getting their food and they paid that off as a blessing. All kinds of ways you can be a blessing to people, but bless your neighbor. Those who are close to you and far from God, would you bless them and show blessing to them? You might be surprised at the result. This, uh, this idea of blessing three people a week comes from this book, Surprise the World. In fact, a few of our messages come out of this series. The ideas behind them are out of this, out of this book, Surprise the World. I recommend it to you. Um, and in fact, uh, I've got a, a couple we'll give away. Uh, anyone want a copy of this book? And we'll read this book if I gave it to them. Uh, there's one hand and there's two hands. All right, I got two copies inside. If you're on the stream, uh, put in the chat. First three people who put in the chat say, I want the book. Put your name in it. We'll get a copy to you too. But Surprise the World is a book where it uh, talks about blessing three people a week. And they have one story in there about this idea of blessing that goes like this. They studied um, two missions teams that went to Thailand. And they call them the blessers and the converters. One missions team went with the idea of converting, and they went simply to preach, simply to share the message. Another team went with simply the idea of we're going to bless people. They weren't intentionally doing this. They just were two different teams. They didn't know each other, going with different intentions, and, and that's just the way they went about it. And what they found out at the end of it, after studying some of these missions teams uh, that went, were that, of course, the ones that went simply to bless made a greater social impact. That's not surprising. But what was surprising is the one that went just to bless had actually a uh, 50 times more successful conversion rate than those that went with the idea of just converting. They were 50 times more successful at helping people find their way back to God by coming with the approach of blessing people first. Maybe it's surprising. 
I don't think it would be to Jesus. Come to serve. The greatest among you will be your greatest servant. So I challenge you, bless three people a week. One that is part of the church, one that's not, and then another person. You say, well, that's rudimentary, and, and I, it feels too rigid. Maybe, but sometimes that's what we need. It's a discipline. You have other disciplines in your life. You don't mind putting disciplines in your life when it comes to exercise or contributing money to your retirement or getting your morning coffee. How about a rudimentary exercise of blessing? Start of my week. I'm going to bless three people. Who are they going to be this week? Words of affirmation, um, acts of kindness, or gifts. Jesus redefined what blessing is. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come back and as we look at, as we close by remembering that Jesus redefined it as being able not to look at how who's serving you or what you deserve, but to serve others. You see, the worst funerals I think I do are the ones where there's only a resume. Here's John. He was the chief of this and the chief of that, and he served in this role or that role. The best funerals I get to do are the ones where maybe you get up and you say, here's John, and here's what he did, and someone else gets up and says, wait, 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 I know you know John in this role, but let me tell you, he showed up one day to help me and my family this way. Or Sally, she showed up. I know you know Sally, and this is the, this is the role you know her in, but let me tell you what she did for me. She showed up one day when I didn't expect her to. See, don't live for your resume, live for your legacy. And your legacy is about the people you will impact and the people you have served. The reality is that in order to reach the world next door, in order to love your neighbor, be the first to serve and be the last to deserve. Don't worry about what you deserve. Don't worry about who's serving you. Look for who you can serve around you. I want to be so Christ-like that the acts of service I do will point to Christ. Here's the reality. We're never going to get people to the God who came to serve if we spend our lives trying to get people to serve us. You're going to get them to a different God, but you're not going to get them to the God who said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If you and I are going to love our neighbor the way God has called us to, yes, we have to live questionable lives. Yes, we have to see them as God sees them, but we also have to serve them as Jesus served them. Lord, we confess that sometimes, sometimes we are very bad servants servants of you and servants of those around us. Lord, because you said that those who follow you will be servants. And we don't like that title. We don't like that, that thought. And yet, if we're going to follow our Lord closely, and if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to recognize that we have been put here to serve and to love. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be better servants of you and of your kingdom and of your purposes today. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to sing uh, another song of worship as we consider what God's word says to us. Then I'll be back in a moment to close us out.